1: Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show planned for you today, including special guest Mark Schulman, founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. We'll be talking about current global events John Miltimore will be joining us. He is the editor-at-large for Fee.org. We'll be talking about the advice and rules for life from Charlie Munger. And Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief, will be joining us as well. It is January the 15th. It's Martin Luther King Day. It's the day he was born, celebration of the day he was born. Great American in modern-day history. And on this day in 1929, he was born in Atlanta, Georgia, the son of a Baptist minister. King received a doctorate degree in theology, and in 1955 helped organize the first major protest of the African American civil rights movement, the successful Montgomery bus boycott. Influenced by Gandhi, his advocated civil rights and disobedience, civil disobedience and nonviolent resistance to segregation in the South. <clears throat> The peaceful protests led throughout the uh, American South were often met with violence, but King and his followers persisted, and the movement gained momentum. A powerful orator, King appealed to Christian and American ideals and won growing support from the federal government and Northern whites. In 1963, Bayard Rustin and uh, A. Philip Randolph led the massive march on Washington for jobs and freedom. The event's grand finale was King's famous I Have a Dream speech, and apparently he had just a short speech planned, but... He began to move away from that and uh, speak uh, from his heart, and that's when he began the I Have a Dream. 250,000 people gathered outside the Lincoln Memorial to hear the stirring speech. In 1964, the Civil Rights Movement achieved two greatest successes, the ratification of the 24th Amendment, which abolished the poll tax, and the Civil Rights Act of 1964, which prohibited racial discrimination in employment and education and outlawed racial segregation in public facilities. Later that year, King became the youngest person to win the Nobel Peace Prize. There's since been somebody uh, after him, but uh, he was the youngest at the time. And in the late 1960s, he openly criticized the U.S. involvement in Vietnam and turned his efforts to winning economic rights for poor Americans. He was assassinated at the Lorraine Hotel in uh, Memphis, Tennessee on April 4, 1968. To this day, I wonder about J. Edgar Hoover's and the CIA's involvement in that, as well as, of course, Bobby Kennedy and uh, John F. Kennedy as well. As King famously said, life's most persistent and urgent question is, what are you going to do for others? Let that sink in. That's beautiful. Well, stocks were a mixed bag Friday as investors poured over the first big earnings reports, and new data showed that the wholesale prices surprisingly went down in December. Marks are closed today in honor of Martin Luther King's birthday. Uh, Congratulations, by the way, to Green Bay and Detroit. For Detroit, it's its first uh, playoff win in 32 years, back to the Barry Sanders days. So uh, congratulations to them. Two big games uh, coming up today in in the uh, playoffs. Well, the media and other Democrats keep expressing confusion that people are so unappreciated, unappreciative of Bidenomics, but it's pretty simple. Wages have not kept up with prices. In stark contrast to the Trump administration, the 3% gap in paychecks and inflation since Biden came into office is roughly $2,100, a real decline in purchasing power for the average family. Here's another depressing data point to confirm what we have uh, borrow and spend psychopath on the White House. In the last quarter of uh, 2023, the most recent quarter for which we have complete data, the federal government took in more money from borrowing than any other revenue source. In the fourth quarter, for example, borrowing amounted to $835 billion. Now, that's for a quarter. Uh, Personal income taxes accounted for $521 billion of income to the government. Social Security and other uh, social insurance taxes, $430 billion. Corporate income taxes, $113 billion, and taxes on production and imports, $44 billion. So, as you can see, we borrowed in the last quarter $835 billion. This is an urgent problem that we have. And yet lawmakers in the House and the Senate are now reaching a spending deal that would extend two deadlines and keep the government open until March. Sources said this will allow elected officials to draft up more long-term spending bills It also set the uh, spending level for fiscal year 24 at $1.59 trillion. Many conservatives are not on board with the deal, according to reports, and Democrats praised the spending agreement in a statement last week. That tells you all you need to know about this thing. The bipartisan top-line appropriations agreement clears the way for Congress to act over the next few weeks in order to maintain important funding priorities for the American people and avoid a government shutdown. That, according to Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and Democrat uh, House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries. That's too bad that uh, we're going this— I'm hopeful that Mike uh, Johnson will survive this process, but uh, he's not off to a good start here. Many people are not pleased. We should have regular order and have budget details for all 12 12 chairs uh, and parts of the government. Well, the 2024 presidential election cycle kicks off in high gear today with Republican Iowa caucuses, the first nominating contest of the primary season. Uh, Former President Donald Trump entered the day as a significant favorite with closely watched Iowa polls showing him at 48% of the vote. Uh, Nikki Haley and and Ron DeSantis are in a tight race for second at 20 and 16% respectively. The next closest candidate is Vivek Ramaswani, sits at around 8%. Unlike traditional ballot contests, the caucuses resemble neighborhood meetings held across the state's nearly 1,700 precincts. Delegates who cast corresponding votes at the National Convention in July are awarded to each candidate based on the proportion of the precincts won. Uh, Democrats saluting the incumbent uh, President Joe Biden opted for a mail-in process. Why wouldn't they? That's what they always do, always want. Both parties will participate in New Hampshire's January 23rd primary. Caucus goers will brave frigid temperatures with wind chills in Des Moines, expected to dip below 35 degrees below zero. The chill is a, a part of the Arctic Circle air mass sweeping down through much of the U.S. early this week. And Trump held a rally yesterday. He hired, actually, people were standing outside waiting to get in line in this frigid weather. He actually hired buses, had them drive up, and uh, people who were waiting in line could sit in the buses to protect themselves from the uh, weather while while they were waiting. Nice gesture on his part, but it was a great speech. He's got them all fired up in Iowa. Well, Texas state officials have stunned federal U.S. Border Patrol agents by blocking their entry and patrolling a public area In Eagle Pass, this public space holds significant importance because it's the first location where migrants who cross the Rio Grande illegally are encountered. The Texas National Guard units deployed by the Republican Governor Greg Abbott have seized control of the Shelby Park in Eagle Pass and have prevented Border Patrol agents from entering the area. Recent illegal crossings through the park, which were used as an outdoor staging area to hold migrants before being transferred to places like Chicago and New York and you, you name it, for further processing, have apparently reached record levels. According to two anonymous U.S. officials, Texas state officials have prevented the Border Patrol boats from patrolling the area in Eagle Pass. These actions by Texas officials have denied entry into the Border Patrol agents, limiting their ability to carry out their duties. One of the officials who requested anonymity was uncertain about the authority Texas officials had over federal government. The uh, Justice Department filed an, uh, an early Friday motion with the Supreme Court describing in detail the extraordinary standoff between Texas and the federal government. According to the Justice Department, officials in Texas are using armed guardsmen and vehicles to deny Border Patrol agents and Federal National Guard soldiers access to the 2.5-mile stretch of the U.S.-Mexico border. I'm not sure they have the right to uh, prevent uh, the federal government uh, uh, people to uh, do their jobs. They certainly can do what they're doing, in my per- personal opinion, but I don't think they can stop the federal government from doing what is, quite frankly, their responsibility. In any event, it's going to end up in the Supreme Court, and that's a good thing. On Friday, GOP Senator Rand Paul launched a website titled Never Nikki" to urge libertarians not to vote for former U.N. Ambassador uh, Nikki Haley, in his party's 2024 presidential nomination process, while most others are decrying the mistakes of the past 20 years and fighting for an American first policy, Nikki Haley, will aligning herself with and declaring her foreign policy allies to be John McCain and Lindsey Graham, Paul said. <clears throat> he also said that Haley lacks respect for the First Amendment and believes in unlimited foreign aid to other countries. I'm a never Nikki, and I hope you will be too, Paul concluded. So uh, no love there between Rand Paul and Nikki Haley. I think he's right, by the way. Dr. Anthony Fauci is retired as director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, but GOP Senator Rand Paul continues to accuse him of mishandling the COVID-19 pandemic and making the worst decision ever made by a public health official in the history of time. That's a quote. Paul called for Fauci to go to prison for his actions. He holds Fauci responsible for funding research at China's Wuhan Institute of Virology that may have been triggered the outbreak. For his dishonesty, frankly, he should go to prison, Paul told the host uh, on WABC. Do you think the scientific knowledge that was gained from the research was worth the death of 20 million people? Just think about that for a moment. Fauci should be punished, and he's still driving around with... uh, Secret Service uh, protection, even though he's retired as a federal bureaucrat. Unbelievable. And John Kerry, President Biden's special envoy for climate, is planning to step down from the Biden regime by spring. Serving as the principal diplomat on climate change since 2021, Kerry's primary role has been to persuade worldwide governments to significantly reduce their greenhouse emissions. During his tenure, he led the U.S. team at three U.S. climate summits, reestablishing American (laughs) declinism after the U.S., withdrawal from the Paris Climate Agreement under Trump administration. Kerry also championed cooperation between the U.S. and the Chinese Communist Party. Earlier this week, Kerry met with Joe Biden in the White House, informing the president of his intention to resign. His decision was related to his staff in an impromptu meeting on Saturday. And while no successor has been mentioned, Kerry has expressed his intention to leave uh, in the upcoming months. He plans to attend the forthcoming, and that's what's starting today, World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland, which is where top leaders in business and government will descend on. Swiss Resort on Davos today for the beginning of the annual World Economic Forum. It's uh, The theme this year is rebuilding trust. How ironic is that? This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, I'm going to visit with Mark Schulman. He's the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. That we'll and more right here on The Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of The Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting
1: Network. Lulubees.com and stop by Lulabees Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. And now serving dinner 4 to 8 p.m. Wednesdays through Saturdays a terrific menu. Lulabees Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads stop by Lulabees Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time.
0: 4541 Welcome back to the Bob Harden show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to visit with John Miltimore. He is the editor-at-large for Fee.org. Right now we have with us Mark Schulman. Mark is the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website. It's called HistoryCentral.com. Great for kids of all ages, including you and I. I hope you visit HistoryCentral.com. Mark, thank you so much for joining us here on the show.
2: Always a pleasure, Bob.
1: Thank you, Mark. Uh, Now, you just mentioned off-air that uh, there's been a terror. Uh, By the way, Mark is in Tel Aviv, living in Tel Aviv, and has now for the last several months. Uh, a terrorist attack in uh, Tel Aviv.
2: Correct. Well, not Tel Aviv, but one of its suburbs, a suburb called Ranana, which is, you know, five or six miles outside of the center of Tel Aviv, so it's a suburb. And there was a terror attack. The details are still coming in. It looks like two terrorists in a car first plowed into a group of uh, pedestrians at a bus stop, Mm. and then one of them got out and started stabbing people. They went to three other locations. One of the one of the terrorists has been killed and the other one seems to still be at large at the moment, but, you know, this is a developing story, so you never know until, you know, things happen very quickly in these these stories, so, but it's a very, you know, it's a it's a popular uh, affluent suburb uh, located, like I said, not far from from Tel Aviv. A lot of Anglos uh, live there. It's a favorite place for, for, for Americans and South Africans and English who, who moved to Israel to live, a place called Radnana. Hmm. So, that's that's, that's that part of the news. Within that, probably at the same exact time, there was another rocket attack from Lebanon, at the northern cities, uh, northern towns along the border
1: from Hezbollah.
2: So, yeah, from Hezbollah, right? Unbelievable.
1: Um, so, well, let's uh, yeah, while, think, while we're on the topic of Israel, what are we? It's now a hundred days of occupation in in Gaza now for the Israeli forces. What's the update? Okay,
2: so let's first of all, it's not a hundred. It's a hundred days since the terror attack mm, right. on uh, <clears throat> because Israel did not go into Gaza initially. I mean, it waited a few weeks and you know got its troops together and everything else. Right, but it's been a hundred days. Israel gained control of the third north, the northern third of Gaza, and has been fighting in Khan Yunis now for uh, for three or four weeks. Um, very carefully. It's a complicated situation because of two things. The belief is that many of the hostages, there are 136 hostages, if they're all still alive, which we do not know. The probability is that many of them have been killed over a period of time, but let's leave it at 136 for the moment. Many of them are in Hanunis, or I should say under Khan Yunus. Uh The underground Hanunis is more bigger than the above-ground Hanunis. has been building these tunnel systems for many years, and going into them is a very difficult um, d- difficult, especially when you're afraid you might kill the hostages by doing it. Mm-hmm. So it's going; it's slow going, day by day. And um, the rest of the Gaza, um, most of it, like I said, has been um, been the tunnels have been destroyed. Israel's moved out of some areas, and then there's a couple of areas where they've never gone into at all. And it's going to be almost impossible, in my opinion, to eliminate Hamas without covering all of Gaza. So. Not clear where this will, how this will end, in and in which way, um, but um, casualties on both sides are way, way down in the last, in the last week, uh, two weeks basically. Um, a sort of lower intensity warfare is taking place. Yeah, uh, so and that's in and the on midst. one side. The other side, of course, is both going up, uh, no, up north.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, so far, more or less, both sides have been keeping within a certain boundary and not firing too far. It's quite clear that Hezbollah does not want an all-out war. Israel has a problem, though, because all of the towns and villages along the border have been evacuated.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: So people are living in hotels far from their homes. This has now been going on from the third or fourth day of the war. And so there are really only two possibilities, a political settlement, which is possible, but not at all clear that it can happen, Mm. and a military settlement, which would be, um, it cost a lot of lives, and re- it would result in a in a lot of missiles in a lot of places that no one wants. So we're not really sure. It's not really clear how this is going to end and when it's going to end. It's an open-ended situation. And then you throw in and the Houthis. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's really interesting. I heard a quote um, that, first of all, no one in this country even knew. Not, no one is not is not a fair statement. Very few people in this country knew who the Houthis were. The um, news interviewed Israel's only F thirty five woman pilot. There are a lot of there are a fair number of pi- women pilots in the army in the air force, but the F thirty five, of course, is the most advanced plane that Israel or the United States flies. So there's only one. There's only one woman who's a who's a, who's the. Um, who flies f thirty five and they interviewed her and they asked her hey, "Did you ever hear of the houthis before this obviously mm-hmm. and she looked at them like who what um, on the other hand um, I understand that when Israelis were briefing the American people on the houthis as much as they knew they said keep one thing in mind these people are really crazy so don't you know you don't know what's going to be with them and that's really what we're seeing uh, I do not for the life of me understand why they were so stupid as to literally fire on an American attack helicopter above them, um, you know it's like, okay, America has certain rules of engagement. It wasn't really looking for war with the Hutus, but if you're going to attack us, that doesn't leave much open, leave leave much open, so to speak.
1: Right, and and they're and they're blocking the sea lanes in the Red Sea and other right.
2: Places. I mean, look, the United States. One can discuss various, you know, how involved the U.S. should be in the world or not be in the world, and you know, we we once discussed a long time ago that. That discussion has never taken place right. politically, right? In other words, you got you got candidates. Um, you know, one land, uh, let, let's just say for sake of argument, Trump very much we shouldn't be involved, in America only, and you have candidates who think the United States has a vital role to play in the world. But what's not really being discussed by either them or anybody else is really what should be the role of the United States mm-hmm. in the world, right? That's mm-hmm. a that's a, that's a deeper question and how much it should it cost. But one thing people should keep in mind. Is the United States is the only country with a blue water navy, which means it's the only country that can maintain the seaways of of the world open and protect them from pirates and the equivalent. And again, it's been an American traditional um, traditional function going all the way back to, to the, the early Barbary
1: 1800s, to the, exactly.
2: Yeah, as one of the first military actions of the United States, right. successful by the way. And ever since then, the United States, back then, we didn't really have, I mean, we had a, a decent Navy, obviously, we did that, but we didn't have a Navy like we have today. Today, we're the only people in the world with a Navy of, you know, blue water, what's considered blue water, meaning you can sail anywhere in the world. Right. So you can argue about how much involvement in various things, but if the U.S. doesn't maintain freedom of the seas, say goodbye to the economy, because the economy is based on, on freedom of the seas. Everything we export, everything we import, everything else is based on the fact that the seas are safe and free.
1: Absolutely. So, Mark, we have so much more to talk around, talk about. Can you stick around? Absolutely, Bob. Right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the uh, Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Back to the Bob Harton show. And now, here's your host, Bob Harton.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Tim Garrett candidate for Cuyahoga County Supervisor of Elections. He's a 33 year resident of Cuyahoga County, a military veteran, a retired sheriff's officer and a graduate of the FBI National Academy. He stands for Safe, Secure, Ethical Elections. Vote for Tim Garrett and check out his website, votefortimgourette.com, paid for by Tim Garrett, Republican for Collier County Supervisor of Elections. Coming up, I'm going to visit with Jim McDegg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. Right now, we continue the conversation with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website. It's called historycentral.com. Again, Mark, thank you so much for joining us here on the show.
2: Always a pleasure mark.
1: So Mark, this weekend big election in Taiwan. love to hear your comments and thoughts.
2: Absolutely. so Mr. Leigh was the candidate of the uh, Democratic Progressive Party who, which is the party that's been in power in Taiwan but the Chinese made a whole big deal about the fact that if Lei was elected, you know they was talking about you know separation and all the things that, that China doesn't want. So they worked hard against this election. they failed. And as Lei said when he was elected, he said, between democracy and authoritarianism, we choose to stand on the side of democracy. And that's pretty much the case. He's really, he's not going to, he's not going to, uh, that's the this way, he's not going to declare, quote unquote, independence from China. He's will maintain the, the, the continued situation right now, which has always been ambiguous at best, right. but also putting additional funds towards self defense in case China decides to try to take. Um, Taiwan by force. And so um, we'll have to see. Um, but, uh, you know, the United States should be happy. People who are concerned about democracy in the world should be happy. Um, people who love communist China should be a little less happy. But Yeah. You know.
1: And, well, the other candidates, his opposition, were a little bit more receptive of the relationship with China, I suppose. So this is why China was really uh, pushing for uh, his defeat.
2: Right. Absolutely. Um, and the... the Taiwanese people they you know they're deaf, you know they have their own identity and they want nothing to do with communist China. you know if if China hadn't made its hard turn to the right or left, I don't even know what you define it, right? It, right. you know authoritarianism, it was a communism, I'm not sure, but whatever it, it went to the extreme, one man rule, et cetera. If they hadn't done that and they would have instead gone the other direction towards more liberalisation and more of a democracy. The Taiwanese people might have been in favor of of rejoining China, but not under the current circumstances.
1: Well, look what happened. Well, look what happened to Hong Kong. I mean, uh, right? They...
2: Absolutely. They they saw what happened. It's clear, uh, China couldn't help itself. Yeah. You know that's that's what it amounts to. If they would have kept Hong Kong independent like they promised, then you know what? Taiwan might have said, mm, "This seems to work. Yeah. We're not someone we get." But, they couldn't help themselves. You find that all the time. And, you know, countries make agreements, things that make sense, but then, you know, their appetite is too great.
1: Right. Power. Or the need
2: for authoritarianism is too great. You know, that's one of the biggest problems we have in the world is authoritarian le- leaders who don't follow the rule of law and um, don't believe in, um, in limits to their power. That's the most biggest problem, of course.
1: Well, of course, limits that, that happens also in republics and democratic republics as well. So. Absolutely. It
2: happens all the time. Listen, yeah. we have... Uh, we certainly have seen that in the United States over a period of time. Yeah, um, it's the biggest threat, to, in my opinion, to democracy is is people being elected who don't who don't believe in following the rules.
1: So. I I agree. That is that I, we agree one hundred percent. So uh, let's move to Ukraine. About a proposal for peace in Ukraine, and uh, I think it's proposed by the European Union and Union and others. Uh, what are your thoughts on what's going on there and that proposal?
2: Well, look, there's always been that proposal, but Russia has shown no interest whatsoever in any such proposal. Mm -hmm. Russia is playing two games right now. Number one, it thinks, generally speaking, it could outlast the West. Um, It hasn't seen that in Europe. The Europe has come more and more in favor of Ukraine and is spending more and more money. It's seen it a little bit in the United States, but the holdup in Congress for aid, and of course. They're hoping desperately Russia Putin that Trump wins the election who's promised to stop all aid to Ukraine. So they're hoping for that. In the meantime they'll keep on fighting and hope that's what will happen. Um but the Ukrainians have no interest in giving up either. So let's be honest here. They're the ones who were invaded. And again, Russia you know, people don't don't get it, right? In other words, in the early part of the war, if the Russians hadn't uh done so many war crimes against the Ukrainian people in the areas they occupied they might not have had such incredibly strong resistance. But we have the people who are once ethnically Russian who lived in Ukraine who've turned into Ukrainian patriots because they saw what happens when Russia conquers them. Mm. So, you know, again, it's it's, it's once again the issue of that, that people don't keep their eye on what they consider the most important goal. And by not doing that, we've seen what's happened. So you have Ukrainian people who are united against Russia, you have Europe that's united against Russia, and, of course, you have a NATO that's gotten larger thanks to what Russia has done. So if the, go- if the goal that Putin originally planned was to weaken NATO, to weaken Europe, he had the exact opposite result. Yeah. So
1: we'll yeah, see. So, well, thanks for that update. So uh, elections in Guatemala. Is worldwide, in 2024, apparently, there's going to be elections that uh, will be determining the fate of leadership around the world. Let's start with Guatemala.
2: Also, Guatemala. The elections were held already, but the president is taking office, and it's been a difficult run because he has been an anti-corruption crusader. He's been cru- he's been uh, crusading against corruption in Guatemala, and there's been a number of assassination attempts against him. And so far, he's made it. He's made it now to, in, into the presidency, um, and he's planning real reforms and turning Guatemala into a real democracy. We'll see. It's difficult. Um, and um again, you know the look the best thing that can happen to the United States is for the nations of Central and South America to be prosperous, yes. democratic, and secure
1: absolutely
2: that that will solve seventy percent of the arguments about a, about the border because less people want to come here so that, that's the best thing that can happen.
1: But it's a little um, bit of a, a canary in the coal mine here with Malai also being uh, elected. So I uh, turn towards uh, the rule of law, I'll turn towards uh reduced size of government. I think it's a positive development.
2: We'll see. Again, uh, it it, it, it could be. I mean, look, the most important thing is, is, is again, a rule of law, following laws, people knowing that they're protected by protected by the government, and the government is not their enemy. Yeah. That's really the most important thing. You need to know that when you call the police, they're coming to help you and not to ask for a bribe.
1: You know, I heard a wise man say to me one time that, you know how you get rid of bad laws? Enforce them. <laughs> right. <laughs> Interesting irony. So, look, this is Martin Luther King Jr.'s uh, birthday, uh, and uh, in my opinion, a great man. I just would love to get your comment- commentary about his life and his contributions. Sure.
2: So, so uh, look, we, we, we sometimes forget what an impact he had. By developing the nonviolent but active civil rights movement, by um, successfully awakening a generation not only of African Americans but of Americans generally to the problem of uh, racism, the problem of more than just racism, but you know the, the two standards that existed, particularly in the South, over so many years, and by being aspirational. Yeah. of, you know, his speech that you know, we no one will be judged but by the ju- by the color of their skin. Uh, he brought about a tremendous change in America. And there's no way you can look at America of nineteen fifty five or nineteen fifty and America of nineteen seventies or eighty in terms of relations between African Americans and whites and racial equality under the law that exists since you know, since that time. Since yeah. basically you know, the, the Voting Rights Act and the Civil Rights Act of 64 and 65 uh, changed the landscape of America tremendously. I don't think he'd approve of what's gone on more recently in the civil rights movement where we're talking about race-based outcomes. Right. That's That, I think, would not be something that he would approve of. I agree. And I think um, it goes against what he thought should be, which is that everyone should be um, should be evaluated based on their abilities, based on who they are, and not based on what race or color or religion they have. Right. Uh, of course, you know it's a difficult line. Of course, obviously, because we have both, you know, overt pre- prejudice and you know prejudice that's subconscious to some extent. So it's not always easy to do that. But that's the direction the United States should be going more, more than anything else. Yeah. And my only last comment about that: I am a strong believer. In affirmative action economically based.
1: Interesting. That, well that, I, that, that,
2: I, that 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 that's the way we should have affirmative action, whether it's in schools or everything else. We should give people who come from the lower ten percentile of the population from an econo- in terms of economics, they should get uh, a leg up. Because they're the ones who need it the most, not based on, you know, what their color is, what their religion is, what whatever it is. But the people who are in the lower ten percentile, whatever their Whatever, whatever their backgrounds, they're the ones we should try to give a leg up as much as possible.
1: Well, if we live by the Constitution, you know what? They'd have it. Uh, Mark, you know, and by the way, uh, if you wanted to, to find leadership, I think he was one of the great leaders of all time. I think, you know, you, with uh, nonviolent uh, activity and what he did as, as a leader, I thought it was just incredible. Gandhi-like is what it was. It's just right. amazing.
2: And, and remember, he had the charisma, too. Absolutely. Leaders are not just, leaders have to have that that little thing called charisma. The same way I think, I've seen politicians who have no charisma. I say, why do you think you can do this? You don't have zero charisma. (laughs)
1: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Mark Schumann, again, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. I hope you check out the website, HistoryCentral.com. Mark, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us.
2: Okay, my pleasure. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Mark. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with John Miltimore, He is the editor-at-large for fee.org. That and more right here on The Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of The Bob Harden Show here on The Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse changing lives through exceptional theater experiences. You can find out more and get tickets to some upcoming performances. Visit Playhouse.org. Coming up, i a to visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. Right now we have with us John Miltimore. John is the editor-at-large for Fee.org. John, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Hey, B. Great being with you, Bob. Thank you, John. Tell us about Fee.org.
4: Yes, FEE is an educational organization. We've been around since 1946, and our mission is just to educate the next generation on the importance
1: of economics and liberty. Terrific organization. Do visit FEE.org. So, uh, John, you wrote a piece It was really good. Uh, and I, I didn't know much about Charlie Munger, but I know a lot more now because of your column. It's called Charlie Munger's Rules for Life in His Own Words. Maybe you can tell us about it.
4: Yeah, uh, for those who don't know, Charlie was uh, kind of the right-hand man of the legendary investor Warren Buffett. He was, uh, you know, himself a very famous and successful investor. Uh, You know, he died just short of 100 years old, and he he, he did live quite a life. And he was one of those people over the years, um, I would just kind of file away things he said, because um, you, you look around the world today you know especially our political world you don't see a lot of people you admire right mm-hmm. and I, and i don't see a lot of wisdom mm-hmm. but i i do think you know charlie munger had a lot of that and i i didn't you know agree with him on every issue um but he really had just a certain brilliance you know about him and he shared a lot of this he had a, he had a pretty popular work, book it was called uh uh poor charlie's almanac and it was sort of a co- you know compilation of a lot of his worldview and thoughts, and that came out probably close to 20 years ago. Um, but I'd encourage listeners, just, you know, check the, check him out. Um, he was one of those guys you can learn a lot from, whether it's, you know, learning how to invest yourself, learning about history or or character, or, or a whole gamut of things.
1: So he had, you, you've highlighted about four things that are really important to him and that you think might be important to the readers uh, and uh, the first is something uh, my dad always taught me: if you can't afford a Cadillac, buy a Ford. If you can't afford a Ford, get a bicycle. You know, but live within your means is is the is the statement.
4: It is, it, it, and that's kind of the brilliance I think of a lot of his wisdom. It, it, to me, a lot of this will sound common sense, right? Yeah, yeah. But it seems like common sense is largely gone yeah. in uh, uh, today in a lot of ways. And, and to me, that is a, a simple lesson and one a lot of people never learn. And, and if you look at how much, you know, uh, I, I cite some data in the piece, how much the average American owe, owes in credit card debt right now and, and the, the enormous percentage of Americans who, who won't be paying off their balance next year, um, you know, they could learn from this, right? Like, like we all want, all, you know, stuff, but learning to live within our own means is sort of like the first rule to becoming, you know, financially successful
1: and the second and here's an interesting thing learn how to invest that is such a key uh, a point you see, once you have the money you just don't keep it in the bank account or under the mattress you got to do something positive with it
4: yeah it's it's one of those things i wish i would have started a, a number of years ago right and right. a lot of people are they go to college and they're they're, they're taking out student loans um and you know that's one one path to becoming successful there are, there are other paths and 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 just you know if you do just have a, a job and you're socking away a little bit of money um you know learning where to put that money to work for you um you know it, it's hard if you if you are you know living very tight but again this kind of comes down to living within our means even on a small income if you're putting away and saving a little bit learning to invest and you don't need to invest a lot. That's that, that's you know, especially when you're getting started. Like what you're doing is you're you're kind of learning the tools of, of investing, and uh, anybody that you know, has kind of studied compound interest knows that even investing a small amount over a lot of years can can really pay di- dividends in the long run.
1: And one of his points is to make sure that your life is enriched with knowing history, and you've uh, your invest your your investing is informed by the lessons of history.
4: Yeah, it's one of those things. uh, I think this resonated with me more than any other point he made. And he wrote at one point, you know, just surrounding yourself with good books and in literature. He said, I never knew a wise person who didn't read all the time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, any success I've had in my life, I kind of attribute to that mentality. Um, you know, like, going back, I was actually, I was a poor high school student, didn't study a lot, but I read a lot. Mm-hmm. And I think um, that is really kind of what would what, what help me out. And when you when you start reading, you know, even if it's just, um, you know, you know, fiction as a child, whatever it is, um, it it starts to just really expand your mind, and it takes you down all these other paths, and you find out you're interested in all kinds of things you didn't even know about or, or know you even suspect you might be interested in.
1: Absolutely, in fact, that's one of the reasons I value doing the show because I learned so much from 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 the experience. Now, here's another here's another virtue that I think is so important. He says, keep it simple and be patient. You know, the holding period for a, the typical stock is just a uh, less than a year. And uh, it used to be 20 years ago, 30 years ago, people would hold stocks for years. But uh, well, they've lost their patience.
4: Yeah, this one, it's funny because I have a different sort of, you might call him a mentor. He's a financial guy who's kind of helped me out just to give me advice over the years. And he told me this lesson before I read it from Charlie, and and he said it's all in the holding. You know, like every everybody likes buying stocks, um, you know, selling stocks. It's the holding that really makes the difference. Um, Whether it's you know holding, you know, means cashing on before. A lot of people cash out a stock. Maybe oh, you've got a little investment. You know, and then it just keeps going up, or a lot of people panic and sell off during a downturn, right? Like I, I know a lot of people that did that. They had invested for years, um kind of panicked in two thousand and twenty, sold off a lot of shares um, and um you know, at, at the wrong time. So I, I think just learning uh, to develop the psychology of trading is something Charlie understood, and a lot of listeners could you know benefit from learning that psychology as well.
1: yeah, a lot of people, uh, the pe- most successful people I know buy something stick it away, and just hold it and uh, don't respond necessarily to the daily news. And uh, if they've done their research and they understand the investment they've bought, it usually turns out pretty well.
4: Yeah, I think that's the key. If, you, if you've done your homework, you can do that and not worry about it.
1: Exactly. And then uh, this, uh, this point is so critical to understanding life. Uh, understand the importance of incentives.
4: Yeah, it was something that this might have been one of those things I saw years ago that first introduced me to, you know, munger is because he you know in, in economics we like to talk about incentives because if you're creating a bad incentive it, it, it creates all kinds of problems and, and incentives you know cause the opposite effect they can you know can kind of bring about good behavior um and and munger just said that in a in a very pithy way once and he, he said you show me the incentive I'll show you the result yeah. and and that's something anybody that's interested in economics um that's an idea you realize once you start to see that idea it really has a profound impact on your thinking. You start to see incentives all around you, good ones and bad ones. As a parent, I think about this. I think about, okay, I want to do this, but what kind of incentive am I giving my child? So I, I, I think, you know, Charlie said it, you know, in a, in a pithier way than anyone. But you know, for listeners, start thinking about incentives all around your life. Well, you know, incentives for yourself and, and those around you, and um, there's good ones and bad ones. And, and once your brain is, you know, kind of wired in a way to see them. I think it can really lead to a lot of, you know, self improvement.
1: Absolutely, and I, I remember the saying that we we appreciate the sacrifice of elected officials. Go, to, they're not sacrificed. They're, they 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 have their own incentives, don't they?
4: They certainly do. Like, and it, it goes on and on. And and it is. Like, I'm kind of old school in that. Like, we call it sacrifice, but they're paid quite well. Yes, they are. Um, and 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 they do have their own incentives. And you know, like there's a whole school of economics on it called public choice theory, and it shows that the incentives of government officials. Uh, they're very different than the incentives you and I have in, in a lot of ways but but what you have is the incentives driving these things are often very harmful and uh, James Buchanan won a Nobel Prize for it so if you're interested in economics check out uh, Public Choice Theory.
1: Again John Miltimore, editor at large at fee.org. Please check out fee.org, the website. You'll find this column there by the way and uh, John, I always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, it was great being with you, Bob. You have a great week. You as well. Thank you, John. All right, coming up, Jim uh, McDaggie is the former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief, now writing novels, and they are terrific. Uh, we're going to do that and more right here on The Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of The Bob Harden Show here on The Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. To the Bob Harden Show, and now here's your host, Bob
1: Hartman. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I proudly serve on their boards, and uh, they prepare elected officials to have winning strategies in their elected office. You can find out more by visiting the FGA. Dot org. We have with us Jim Tech, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. He's also the author of some terrific murder mysteries. Since he retired, he's written uh, Father Leader, its sequel, Shake the Money Tree, and its his latest is No Problem. Jim, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Yeah.
3: Yeah, it's fun to be here, especially on uh, the day of the Iowa caucuses. Yeah, and I'm going through. You know, the, the Wall Street Journal had a wonderful story yesterday about spending in Iowa. Uh, the candidates in Iowa have spent a total of 105 million in advertising. Wow! And, and the last time they had a caucus, there were only 186 thousand Republicans participated. So that works out to to uh, about 560 bucks per person
1: in Over advertising. Road. Yeah. Wow. And
3: so the, and so you know it's TV blah 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 but they have this huge blizzard and cold wave there which you people in Florida cannot possibly understand. And it will keep a lot of people home which means that money may have been totally wasted number one. Number two, I'm I'm really curious, and I'm looking at FEC figures, and again, the Wall Street Journal. Who is spending the most on advertising in Iowa? Mm-hmm. And, and unsurprisingly, <laughs> Donald Trump spends the least. Mm-hmm. He's spending about 15.8 million, and the reason is, I think, and it's just obvious, he has command of the news. So he gets a lot of free advertising. Number one, right? And number two, I, he has tremendous legal expenses. I think he spent twenty-five million in legal expenses so far. Uh, one has to wonder if this is a democratic plot to drain away his campaign war chest. Uh, but it seems to be backfiring. Yeah. It seems like it seems like this money is actually political advertising because. It's the, uh, the weaponization of, of the law by the Democrats to attack their political enemies has,
1: has rallied Republicans to Trump's cause. Uh, no question about that. I don't know if you heard, but <clears throat> excuse me... Um... Yesterday he had a rally, and it was, the weather was just so extre- extreme. Apparently, people were waiting outside, lines, long lines, waiting to get into uh, to the rally. So he sent he, he got commercial buses to come up, and so people who were waiting in line could sit there, protected from the weather. Man, you talk about brilliance! I don't think he spent a million dollars on that, but I tell you, it was a good move.
3: Yeah. Now, now, what's really interesting to me is uh, DeSantis and Haley. Ha Haley has spent $29.4 million. and And, um, you know, previously she didn't have that much money, but she has the Koch brothers behind her now. Right. And and she's managed to eke ahead of DeSantis, who spent about $24.6 million in Iowa. I mean, the spending is close. But, you know, when you look at that expenditure of money, just for the privilege of finishing a distant second, uh, you have to question your return on investment. Right. It's, uh, it's pretty, pretty low. And, and I don't think the Koch brothers or any other deep pockets can keep, keep spending that way primary after primary. Right. And, and again, because Trump generates so much free publicity.
1: Also the, the, the writing is on the wall. I mean he's going to win the nomination. I don't think any, every I think everybody understands that except for these candidates who are I guess supposing that if he gets indicted or charged or found guilty or whatever they're hoping for the page to turn and that it'll open up an opportunity for them. But they really there's Biden uh, the Trump has just provided uh f- 4 years of, of uh economic growth, and prosperity, and now we've suffered three years of a lack of that, and I think people want it back.
3: Okay, again, I'll remind your <clears> listeners I don't like Trump. I didn't vote for him. I'm an ever-Trumper. I would argue that his his policies are part of the reason we have this, um, we've had this inflation run, number one, and his policies are the reason that the deficit is so large, number two. But the... Uh, having said that <laughs> uh there was an article in the new york times sunday which i read so you don't have to and it pointed out that that uh the moderates of the republican party who are who are composed of college educated persons mm-hmm. who had abandoned trump are returning to trump yep and and i found that a, astounding and the reason is that prosecutions against trump in New York and in Georgia are so on the face, so patently unfair and such a distortion of justice that people are outraged and they're they're worried about, you know, the direction of the the swamp. I mean, it it indicates, it's like a Boeing, you need a top-to-bottom, cleansing of the Justice Department of uh, the, the FBI CIA. the CIA,
1: you just go down the list of alphabet agencies that all need, I mean the deep state is so deep right now, we have unelected officials running our government and we've got this guy that, <clears throat> who is elected president that doesn't know what he's doing quite frankly it, it, w- this, is a, this is becoming a banana republic
3: so, <clears throat> so it looks like At least on the Republican side, Trump uh, is pulling people in uh, instead of repelling them. And Mm I honestly thought that if you just let Trump open his mouth, he would repel people because what these elections have become,
1: and I don't like
3: Biden either. I think Biden is a a crook and that he's uh, demented. Um, It's the, the best character assassins win elections. That's, that's what American democracy has come to.
1: Well, I, I mean, I, I appreciate uh, your difference of opinion. I mean, I'm a strong Trump supporter, and, I, and the reason why is because I'm not looking for a best friend. I'm looking for a guy that can uh, make America great again, and he's the guy that I would support. So, uh, give that some thought, Jim. <laughs>
3: <laughs> no, I
1: I have relatives that are Trump supporters, and and. Uh,
3: I just think that he fa- he failed the test of leadership at least twice. And uh, he, he doesn't really have the gravitas or the uh, – I don't think he has the vision to lead this uh, –
4: country
1: in a positive direction but uh i don't see anybody else either i'll give you the last word now jim McTech again former barons washington bureau chief his latest book uh, get a, get a copy it's a great read it's called no problem jim really appreciate your commentary on the show thank you so much for joining us
3: Thank you, Bob, and
1: thank you for still loving me. Okay, Jim, thank you. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, Tomorrow we've got some great guests lined up for you as well. If you enjoyed the show, I hope you pass the word on to your friends. It's one of the ways we build our audience, and uh, quite frankly, we can't uh, do the show without advertising, and uh, so we appreciate your support. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste.